On the morning of November 28, 2016, I got to school about 7.15 in the morning. It was un- unusually quiet in the parking lot. And while the school is not right on the parkway, it's not far. It's really downtown Gatlinburg. By around 10 o'clock that morning, I could see this really odd color developing in the atmosphere through my window in my classroom. Just a very odd look. It was at that point that I started to kind of lose track of time because the whole thing just felt weird. At some point, my kids were, my students, I call them my kids, were called down to the lunchroom to get their lunches and take them back to the room where they would eat. I knew something was up because that's not what we normally do. I was the last teacher back to the homeroom and one of the other teachers had pulled my students in with his. Instead of being thankful that he was supervising them for me, I went berserk because I walked into my room and all the kids were gone. I was already in a panic mode because things were not right. All my senses were were telling me something was wrong. Then we were informed that uh, buses would be arriving to take our students to the Gatlinburg Community Center. Again, I don't know what time it was, but as my homeroom walked down the hall, some of them holding hands, because the smoke was already coming into the school, you could visibly see smoke in our halls. And, uh, you know, I, I told the students to hold on to each other. When we got to the community center, parents had already to pick up students. Uh, and we have a very small school, a K through eight school, so most of the parents were picking up two, three, sometimes four kids at a time. my students had been picked up but just a very few um, my principal said hey you can you can go on home because you live in Maryville and it's going to take you an hour to get home and we don't know what else is going to happen here so I left one or two students with the principal I had to get back to the school, so I caught a ride with a maintenance department worker. I had no idea who he was, but I'm very thankful for him, and he took me back into Gatlinburg to the school parking lot to get my my vehicle. It was very nerve-wracking because the entire town was covered in smoke and people were already trying to get out of the town. Don't know what time that was, probably two, three o'clock in the afternoon, maybe four o'clock. I'd lost track of time, like I said. Um, But I will be forever haunted about leaving at least one of those students with my principal.
because she was one of the people that lost their life in this wildfire. She was a beautiful and kind young lady. Her mother and her sister also lost their lives. Southern Appalachian Wild. Today I'm going to be talking about wildfire, which is supposed to be natural. Uh, however, in doing my research for this episode, um, it was noted that 85% of all wildfires are actually not are actually man-made. They're not natural. So from 85 to 90%, not natural, arson or started by campfire or started by someone throwing out um, a careless cigarette or something to that effect. So <clears throat> unfortunately, it's supposed to be natural, but isn't. Um, the account that you heard in, in the beginning of the episode is my personal account of what I went through on that morning of November the 28th um, as a teacher in a small school in Gatlinburg. Um, it, it's still quite painful to me four years later, um, but it's, but it's uh, something that probably needs to be talked about. Um, and if you're feeling sorry for yourself right now because you're in the pandemic, Think about the kids and the people of Gatlinburg, this, the, the people um, that actually live in that area that had to suffer through that four years ago. My students lost class time. In some cases, they lost pets. In some cases, they lost um, their homes. Their parents may have lost uh, businesses. It, it just was a horrible thing and now four years later these same young people are having to go through uh, this terrible virus situation like we all are um, so if you're feeling bad right now for yourself think about how they must feel they they would have been freshmen uh, this past year school year now they're going into their sophomore year um, I could only hope that things will get better. So we're going to do the kind of the timeline on this fire. And I want to give credit to knoxnews.com for this information. And uh, if you would like more detailed information, you can go look at that timeline for yourself. But I'm going to give a quick rundown of what happened um, in those days. Uh, right before the wildfire and then when it got out of control. Uh, on November 23rd, uh, a, a small fire got started in the chimneys area. Uh, yes, it was determined that it was by arson, a couple of teenagers. Um, but in case you don't remember that time period, 
um, we were going through a real dry spell. It had been three or four months of really dry weather and people were not even allowed to have campfires in, in their campgrounds because we had such dry conditions. On November 26th, three days later, um, the National Weather Service issued a fire weather planning forecast for East Tennessee because they were expecting some high winds, which a little bit later on you will determine uh, was a huge reason why this thing got out of control. Um, also in the early morning hours of November 27th, which was Sunday, um, a high wind watch was in effect um, for, it was forecasted for Monday and the gusts were supposed to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 miles per hour in the higher elevations. A few hours later on November 27th uh, at nine o'clock, uh, they issued a special weather statement that said that we had enhanced fire danger um, because of three factors. This is what caused the fire, three factors. It had been critically dry for months. The humidity level was very low, no moisture in the air, and wind gusts were going to be very high and erratic. By that Sunday afternoon, we received an urgent weather message, but and they had the National Park Service had already begun to attack that fire in the park with aerial um, equipment. Around 9.30 on Monday the 28th, which is the day in which um, I had my personal account, Newfound Gap Road was closed from Cherokee to Gatlinburg. At around 10.45, um, that, that initial small fire had grown to be about 500 acres. At 11.20, a air quality advisory was issued um, and people were beginning to get very nervous. At about 11.35, um, a small fire had started uh, near the Twin Creeks area which is in the National Park, uh, right there on Cherokee Orchard Road, which by the way is where the school is located. By noon of that day, just 25 minutes later, um, the Gatlinburg firefighters were issuing a notification of voluntary evacuation in Minot Park. And Minot Park is just a small city park that is right beside Twin that right, runs up right against Twin Creeks. Uh, I now know that at about 12.30 that day is when the school was uh, beginning to be evacuated. By two o'clock, the gravity of the situation seemed to be apparent to everybody that was involved, including the park officials, Gatlinburg Fire Department, and the Forest Service and they were calling on aid from other fire departments at that point. At 5.17 p.m., 
the homes in um, Minot Park were really in danger. And um, at this point, we were able to find out that the winds had gotten as high as uh, probably 87 miles per hour on Sunday night, which, by the way, is considered a hurricane force wind. Um, but also around 7 o'clock on Monday the 28th in the evening, um, the National Park Service then closed the Gatlinburg Bypass and Little River Road to prevent uh, other people from getting into town. And something happened at 8.30 that I have never uh, seen or heard before. The Gatlinburg emergency siren and speaker system was used to tell people to evacuate the town. Um, and it was at that time that people started to have difficulty communicating because communications had, had been interrupted by, I guess, everything that was in the atmosphere and also the number of people uh, using their cell phones and so forth. A lot of lessons learned in this situation. By the time this was all over, um, 14 lives had been lost. Uh, 190 people had been injured and five, uh, it was estimated at first, at first that $500 million in damages had been caused. Um, I think that was later updated to be a lot more. So let's do, um, as you know, with Southern Appalachian Lake and Wild, I do the, the human story and the folklore and the science, and we're going to do the science part now. The biggest question that most people had was, did we know this was going to happen? You can think about what's going on right now with the COVID uh, virus and say to yourself, did we know this was going to happen? Of course, there are people who knew it was going to happen, but um, you have to have an audience willing to listen. Uh, currently, most huge wildfires actually happen out west. So there's a lot of things in place out west for when that happens. Um, there's a lot of um, fire-dependent ecology out west. Um, and about 52% of the, the National Forest Service budget is currently used in fighting fires. So over time, more and more of the budget has gone to actually fire suppression and fighting fires over time. And uh, if in that happening, a lot of other programs have gone by the wayside, such as fire suppression and keeping up with prescribed fires and, and those sorts of things. You, you have a budget and you, you know you can only do so much with it. Basically, we're just demanding more from our forests and our parks and our wildlands, but 
they don't often get the funding they need. In fact, they're, they're usually one of the first places we go for a cut because uh, probably the first place we go are what? The cultural arts and, um, uh, you know, we go for the arts first and then, then we go to the parks and start cutting those, those things. But fire is not really of the devil. It was used in the beginning by uh, Native American cultures to alter the landscape for moving around, uh, for wildlife management. Uh, and of course, later on, we picked up on that and we used it to clear land. Um, and I don't have information about catastrophic fires in wildlands prior to, to uh, the 1980s, but I probably suspect that the fires were not as significant, uh, at least in the wildlands, as they have been in the last few years. Um, our southwest, our southeastern forest here in the southern Appalachian region um, are fire dependent. Uh, our ecosystems need an occasional burn. And by occasional burn, I mean like every three to eight years. So you've got a lot that needs to be receiving those prescribed burns. But something uh, incredible happened in 1944, one of the most amazing ad campaigns came about. One of the most successful ad campaigns. And that was Smokey the Bear. Smokey the Bear. Um, only you can prevent forest fires. Um, unfortunately, with the general public, what often happens is that they, they take away one big message from those kinds of things, one uh, one idea, and the idea that was taken away was that all fire is horrible. And we've been backtracking ever since, trying to explain that actually fires are a part of the ecosystems sometimes, that there are plants and animals that are dependent on these occasional burns. But what happens is if they don't get these occasional burns is that you have this serious buildup of duff and forest litter layers that just keep piling on top of each other. And you know what it's like whenever you have a bunch of dry leaves in your yard and someone starts to burn those, um, you, can get, you can get in real trouble really fast. Uh, so you have to be careful with that. But imagine if it's a forest, a forest that's loaded with this thick layer of really dry material, lots of dead trees. You know, just think of your typical forest um, and depending on what kind of forest it is, whether it's pine forest or a climax oak community or whatever, it's gonna burn def uh, differently. So, Nowadays, whenever you get a fire in one of those locations, it is catastrophic. It, it's catastrophic for many reasons, but it costs a lot of money to suppress a fire like that. 
and of course you you're going to lose a lot of um, property and and possibly people in 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 those areas um around the year 2000 there was a, quite a bit of work done in the forest service to work on uh, fire policy and and all the things that should be going on but in the southeast uh, fire management is extremely uh, extremely difficult and it's multifaceted and it's complex uh, it's complex for several reasons the first reason is is that 90 percent of the forest is owned by private citizens and you can imagine how how hard that is if you're trying to manage forests. Another thing that's happened uh, over the last few decades is that we we love our green spaces so much that we have done tr a tremendous amount of development that runs right up along beside these forests. You know, where do people want to build a house? Where do people want to build a resort? They want to build it right next door to the park or right next door to the national forest because these are um, entryways. Uh, these are these are towns that spring up because of the tourists coming to visit that resource. Um, another thing that's happened too is, um, you know, the, the, a lot of funding hasn't been there for those prescribed burns and or it just plain didn't get done by landowners. Now add on top of that invasive species, which have done a lot of damage to a lot of different species of trees in, in these areas, meaning that you have a lot more uh, downed material. Uh, and then uh, the, the fact that we are getting drier and drier and drier. Um, the last thing that makes this whole thing so complicated is that in order for, for this to happen, good fire management to happen, you have to have a collaboration between the national people, the state le level people, the local fire workers, and the landowners to make something happen. That, you know that is very, very difficult. So the answer is yes to that question that I posed. Yes, there were people in the forestry profession that knew that we were sitting on a time bomb. Yes, there were ecologists who had projected this. Yes, there were scientists who had said this and numerous strategies were developed to deal with it on paper. But as you know, things that go on paper don't often work out in reality. And that's for a number of reasons. It's not anybody's fault. It's that we all should have had our heads out of the clouds listening to what was being said or paying attention to it. So what does this mean for the future of these uh, of towns that, that, that butt up against these uh, green spaces, these wild areas? In the southeast, uh, it's projected that populations will grow. So we're gonna have even more uh, human uh, or urban uh, properties built uh, 
adjacent to these forests. And it's for sure that we're not going to get any wetter, we're going to get drier. So yes, these wildfires will continue to ha happen. Um, drought's going to be more prevalent, meaning that it's going to be a situation that's going to happen. You know, we, we were supposed to have like a hundred year uh, wildfire, just like you have hundred year floods, you're supposed to have that hundred year wild, wildfire. Unfortunately, uh, those of us now, those of us, especially the kids that experienced that in 2016, uh, it has been projected that more than likely they will see that again, if not once, maybe even twice. So um, it, it is, it's definitely sitting out there waiting. Um, in, in fact, in, on that, on that, uh, in that time period in 2016, I looked at it and there were actually on that same, or in that same time per period, 53 active fires in the United States. So this is something we, we are going to live with. If you would like to make a comment uh, or send me a story about wildfires, and what you think about the podcast, uh, or if you're interested in telling your story on the podcast uh, or giving your input, I would love to have it, even if it's different from mine. I think that's what's missing in the world is having two people being able to sit down and talk about things without um, trying to discredit each other or getting angry. So I would love to have uh, people that would guest, be a guest on, on the show. If you are interested in working on the show, researching, and or you have ideas, send me an email. My email is jncliton3290 at gmail.com. This is Judy. Doolin for Southern Appalachian Wild. Get out into the woods! <laughs>